Third Degree, the podcast is sponsored by Soccer90.com. The World Cup is just days away from first kick. Get all the gear you want at Soccer 90. Shop the wide selection of U.S. Men's National Team. They got everything. Everything you could possibly need. Jerseys, balls, jackets, scarves. Any Third Degree listener gets 20% off your order when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. No, it's not Peter, although I am stealing his intro line. This is episode 186 of the Third Degree Podcast, and I welcome you. For those that don't know, I am Owen Newkirk, who used to do FC Dallas on TV. I say used to because you guys have gotten into it plenty. There is a chance that there won't be any more FC Dallas TV with the Apple TV deal, but that's for another conversation. I digress. But thanks for everybody listening and letting me come in here and take a substitution role, if you will, off the bench for Peter. And I can't tell you how excited I am as a subscriber and listener to introduce these two gentlemen. First and foremost, a man who now has officially tied the knot to his better half. It's everybody's favorite Luton fan, Dan Crook. Hi, Dan. Hey, I haven't seen you since our terrible night in Austin. It has been quite some time, hasn't it? (laughs) It certainly has. Although I do say, for everybody that thinks that you don't always have a smile on your face, every time I've seen you in the FC Dallas press box area, you have a smile on your face. And I'm sure it's not just because I walked in. It it mostly is, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) And if you didn't hear the chuckle in the background, I introduced the hero, your hero, my hero, (laughs) I'm a P1 of this podcast. It's the great Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzz. Uh, thanks for filling in, Owen. I couldn't tell you how excited I was when an actual professional uh, radio <laughs> personality rang me up and said, hey, I want to fill in for Peter. And I was like, oh, my gosh, do you really? Let's do this. So that's pretty pretty exciting. Thanks for being here and, and uh, helping us maintain. Because if you've heard the podcast, when it's just Dan and I, it does not have the same <laughs> professional quality. There's a lot of ums and rambles as we try and figure out who's going to do what. It's uh, It'll be much cleaner and better and more normal uh, with, with this with you filling in. I appreciate the, that and the welcome because when I was listening to last week's show, I heard Peter say I might be out for a while. It might be a little dicey. You guys were talking it out at the end of the pod. And I went, oh, I could do that. I might be around here or there. And I sent you that message and I didn't know if I'd get a yeah or a yeah, we're doing okay over here. So oh, it's always oh. nice to get the positive reinforcement back. Well, you're a media professional and you are thoroughly knowledgeable about FC Dallas. So that's a combination we love. And and this thing is a train wreck when we don't have somebody to herd the cats all into the to the pen. And uh, that's so we're joyous to have you here. It's it's an added bonus that you actually know this club backwards and forwards because you do TV for this club. Or you did. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Didn't mean to, uh, no, that's quite that. all right. <laughs> that there's, there's no wounds there. Uh, although I must say I have thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, getting a chance to fill in for Mark Followell for the last four seasons. Uh, the only downside is is that I have to root for Mark to have conflicts to get more <laughs> games. And every time he did, the the biggest tease was the extended breaks when he did the Olympics or he went down and did a basketball tournament in Orlando uh, during the summer a few years ago. 
the Olympics last year was amazing, or even uh, this year with uh, the last couple of years with the Big Ten football schedule, three or four matches in a row, and I it makes it a lot harder to relinquish the chair. Yeah, I can imagine. So enough about me, although I'll certainly answer any questions from the audience. Let's get right into this week's episode because there is a lot going on. I know you guys love to talk about the big time Huntsman dumps. This one actually Mm -hmm. came from the club itself rather than from the fine journalistic efforts of both Dan and Buzz because it's contract time as we are deep in the offseason already because there's this goofy World Cup thing going on that we're going to have to, or about to start, that we'll have to get into. But guys, the the big thing was option years. What was FC Dallas going to do? Which players were they going to pick up their player options for? Or I should say their team options, because they're the ones making the decision. And which ones would they decline and maybe not so... Uh, formally or maybe so send them packing with a good swift kick in the in the rear end so I think that you guys I'm sure would love to start with those who got good news and that starts with the guys who had their option year picked up and I'm looking at the list right now and it starts with a guy who at times looked like the guaranteed number six and then at times looked like he wasn't and we're talking of course of Edwin Cerillo yeah, the, the first thing I'll say about it is that it was about time that SC Dallas did this because they threw me off my whole game uh, <laughs> in terms of the offseason because I was expecting them to do this. You know, like I did it like the day after they got eliminated. I was like, okay, here's my list. And I was like, well, they're going to come out like two days later. Nope. They've sat on it all the way till the deadline. And we'll explain now why they did that later. But it totally threw me off my game. Uh, I, it kind of They kind of did to me what they did to Edwin in the middle of the season because at the beginning of the season, Edwin was – had that starting six position on lockdown. And then he had some, some foibles, some stumbles. Maybe he got complacent. Facundo came in. Uh, I did not like the way that they went back to Facundo at the very end of the season when Evan had that great run. Um, I, I think coach got nervous around playoff time as they do coaches do. I didn't like that so much, but I'm super pleased to see them pick up uh, Edwin's um, contract and his option because I have this thing about domestic players and the spine, these really important key positions up and down the team. Jesus is another guy that can fit this. Matt Hedges has been, can fit this for years. If you can have an American that can perform a position at a high level because of the international player limits, because of the cap, the salary cap limits, it's such an added value if an American can do a job. And you can just look at the amount of money that Facundo gets paid and his age and the amount of money that Edwin gets paid and his age. And you can see the utter value there of having a guy like Edwin be capable. Now, is he dominant yet? Is he completely outplaying Edwin? Uh, sorry, Facundo. I mean, you can maybe flip a coin there, but um, whichever way you like it, he's right there with him, which says a lot about his value at his price. And it's an absolutely no-brainer. They picked up his option. Now, if he signed a three-plus-two deal, which he almost assuredly did as a homegrown, this will be his final option. So sometime this year, and I'm sure his agent probably has already mentioned this to the club. They'll need to get him a long-term deal like they did Cervania, like they did Paxton Plumical, like they did Jesus. It won't be as high as some of those other guys, but you got to get this kid sometime this year locked up long-term. Dan, anything to add? <laughs> I, I thought I'd just give it the, uh, the classic layout. No, no um... <laughs> we had a little game of chicken there and I lost. 
Uh, final option year. Uh, last year they picked up uh, Savania. This year it's it's Edwin's turn, bringing him back at a hundred. You know, last season he made a hundred and thirty years his base salary, competing with a guy that makes what eight hundred thousand. Uh, he he's got to really prove himself. He, uh, really, you know, earn that contract, earn his way into the start. But uh, you know, it's a no-brainer to pick him up on that. You guys both broke down the decision to go back to Faku for the playoffs and late in the season in some of those important matches. So I don't want to necessarily rehash all of that. The one thing I, I thought was particularly interesting out of Edwin's game all year, because it's sort of a, a niche thing, but you know, as a broadcaster, you always try to latch on to fun things that you can bring in that's not just what everybody else can see. And the thing that really stood out, and you guys are going to laugh because it's not his technical ability, not the way he reads the game, his growth from when Tiago Santos was sold and you went, oh my God, this is what we're left with, to what he is now, which has been a very steep increase. It's the fact that he was able to manage to avoid yellow card accumulation suspension all season long by the skin of his teeth at times, and he had eight yellows. The rule is at five, you miss a game. And he managed to pick up eight this year. Eight is usually the second yellow card accumulation suspension. But he got all three good behavior uh, reductions. And I think if he had gotten one more, uh, I think he was right on the verge at the last game of the season. So I know it's kind of a minuscule thing, but I always got a real kick out of that as we were tracking that late in the year. There might have been some coach uh, man management of uh, influence in terms of who played certain games based on that kind of uh, priority too. You know, he doesn't want to lose a guy for any stretch. I mean, I, I've never asked him about that, but that's a good, that's a good thing you pointed out there. So with Cerio locked in, and of course, Faku didn't get picked up in the expansion draft. They have two sixes, which I think is a really good thing. And I don't know if you guys picked up too much on it and we'll move on in just a second, but Faku, when he was on the bench and healthy, I noticed a lot at key stoppages, whether it be a hydration break or at halftime, was always in somebody's ear, almost like another assistant coach. And he had, I would see him many times with his arm around packs and pomical shoulders, talking about something he saw. And it always looked really positive. I know you can't necessarily hear, of, and, and maybe the positive body language doesn't convey exactly what was being said, but it looked like he was an incredible teammate, even coming from a substitutes role. And I, I value that a lot because as you want to probably talk about later in the episode, that's something the the depth of this squad I think is a real need. Yeah, he and Frank O'Hara both have good qualities in those terms. You know, I, I think if they didn't, they would not have been kept around as long as they have. You know, guarantee contact aside, if guys are cancers, you find ways to get rid of them. You know, the the professional quality of those two individuals has, is one reason why they have value when they might not be uh, the the pure number one starter anymore. Yeah, yeah. and oh, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, Edwin's talked a few times about uh, Farku helps him prepare for games pretty well, gives him notes on the uh, the opposition uh, upcoming kind of things to look out for in the game, particularly, you know, if it's a player he's come up against in Argentina or something along those lines. Uh, much like, you know, Jesus and Pepe both mentioned uh, Hara in the past doing for them. All right, so we move on to the next player whose option was picked up, and that was left-back Marco Farfan. And he had a phenomenal year, Buzz. We were ecstatic about the change because as much as you hated to see Ryan Hollingshead move away, 
Farfan instantly upgraded their defensive capabilities. Now, Farfan was not the same marauding, attacking left back, and few are in Major League Soccer that Ryan Hollingshead is, but his age, which was much younger, and the defensive abilities transformed a big portion of that FC Dallas back line. Yeah, his play was so good that this is a complete no-brainer that you're going to pick him up. The question was... And it was, I found it impossible. And I tried multiple times to find out contract info on him because when you went back to when um, LAFC traded for him, I could not find any information that they had done a new contract on him. And if you, and if you counted the times he was, the seasons he was with Portland, his original homegrown deal was up. So it became a question of what kind of situation does he have coming off of his LAFC contract? Is he long-term? Is he out? Well, the fact that there was an option, you know, it makes it sound like there probably was like a one plus one or a two plus one or something like that on the table. So ecstatic that the team had an option on him, which is really exciting. The other really weird thing with him was it was almost impossible to figure out whether he was actually a homegrown or not. Because <laughs> if you went and counted, and I literally did this, I went and looked at LAFC's expansion draft last year, and I counted the homegrowns, and they had if you didn't count Marco Farfan, he was the 12th player that they protected. So they either just chose not to protect somebody or they messed up or FC Dallas messed up or whatever, but it turned out that they didn't have to protect him. And that was an added bonus when the math said he should have had to have been protected. It just, uh, he just makes too much sense. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the next season pans out with that contract situation. If it, you know, if it is the the last uh, year of an unholy number of option years, uh, but two hundred and twenty five grand for a guy with the, the kind of defensive output he's had. Yes, fullbacks are a dime a dozen, but not young fullbacks that can play at the level he has for this team and uh, as reliably as he has. And the big thing for me is that you don't need, although you like, as I'm a I'm the polar opposite of Peter, the usual host of the podcast, because I'm a Liverpool supporter. And I, of course, he's a big Manchester United guy. And Liverpool has two incredibly high-talented attacking fullbacks. Very few teams have that capability. I think, guys, that you really can do it. I mean, you don't need any of them if you play a certain way. You'd love to see at least one get forward, and that gets back to the what if Brian Reynolds or Reggie Cannon stayed for a little bit longer and national team talk and all that, which, again, that's a digression path you probably want to save for another day. But I, I think that Farfan showed as the season progressed that he was capable of getting forward a little bit more, never like a Serginio Dest or, a, you know, like we said earlier, Ryan Hollingshead who would – come flying forward. Now, he wasn't the typical outside back because he liked to attack inward on his stronger right foot, but still, he would get way up the field. Many times, he wouldn't get back. And so, Marco was much better about covering that. And the big thing was is that after about... I remember I did the first... I did the first and the third and maybe the fourth games of the year, I think, um, of the start of the season. There was a really dull game with horrible weather in Chicago that I got to do that I still enjoyed, even though it wasn't much to it. But he, after a couple games, said that now I'm starting to, the coaches are saying, okay, now we've settled in. I can try to, I'm going to try to make a point of getting forward a little bit more. Yeah, one of the low-key factors that you have uh, with Marco Farfan is that Behind him, and you'll see more of him this year, I think, is Isaiah Parker, who is a 
much more offensive minded uh, left left back because he's a converting winger. He's a more of a Reynolds type guy shifting back to the defense. And so Dallas will have the ability with five subs to bring on some scoring punch in that position if they feel it's necessary. You know, um, this coach clearly opts for a more defensive minded back four in terms of outside back play. We don't see this aggressive wing play out of either side. I mean, Nima Tomasi almost had to adapt his game back into a more defensive game to try and fit the style. So, um, you know, not a big concern for me that he's not a flying attacker, you know, that he's, he's, he's gotten it forward a little bit. The way the wings get used on this team is more of an underneath support form, you know, filling in uh, the, the structure in the middle of the park as the eights go forward, providing some stability there um, with bracketing the six, if you will, in a wider stance. Uh, so that's, that perfectly plays into the kind of team that this coach wanted. I remember, Back at the beginning of the season, the talk from the TD and the coach, a lot of it was this whole process thing. But part of that was that the posi- the moves we're going to make this year are about fit and system, not about like trying to go after superstars. Okay, so that's Marco Farfan, the third player that was picked up for the 23 MLS season, is a guy who insists that we cannot say his first name, Catlejo, correctly. I still... Have, have, haven't had a chance because after my last TV broadcast, I didn't get a chance to go see him. He left the field while we were talking to Nico one day at practice and, or at training, and I couldn't – I wanted to prove to him that it was possible for us to say Cutlejo, but, of course, I'm talking about Siki and Sabalang. You're a brave man to even try it. <laughs> <laughs> Comes with a job. Try. Um, I actually have a, a tiny bit of concern uh, with Sabalang. Not that it's, it's not his contribution, which was fantastic. And I think it's a no-brainer at his cost to pick him up. But he needs to sort out that international status. He's not a high enough caliber player that you're perfect willing to eat that international status. And he's not as young as you would think. He's, he's going on 25 in February. So you, you can't think of him. You have to adjust your thinking on him. You can't think of him as a 20-year-old kid you know, like that's come out of the academy a year or two ago. You have to remember that he played four years in college. So that international status and that 25 years old going into this season already, his career is half over. So uh, there's some t- small concerns there about the high-end value. He's not going to get all that much better than he is right now because he's already approaching the end of his improvement line. He's got about another year or so to improve, and that's probably about it, maybe two at the most. Um you know, so my advice to him would be to go get that green card ASAP because if he gets the green card, you could have a long career in Major League Soccer, you know, into your 30s because of the way he plays, because of that little quick burst he has. It'll fade over time eventually, but, you know, that 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 little the ability to make that little movement with the ball at his feet and get into space and, and, and progress, make a little progressive dribble is a useful thing to have in your squad. So uh, no-brainer to pick him up, but... Uh, long term, he wants to get those things sorted out, that, that domestic issue sorted out, because you're running into a problem in a hurry trying to eat up an international spot when you're already aging and really are at this point still just a bottom of the roster filler piece. Well, I think, uh, you know, you you got to remember it's not just a case of anyone can get a green card. Uh, hi, I have one. Um, <laughs> You know, I think uh, that does put him on his fifth year in the country, um, which he may be able to uh, now apply for uh, later this year, um, which would be a good thing. 
I think ultimately, uh, you know, just just to kind of play devil's advocate a little, you know, although he is twenty five, he also made sixty five and a half thousand dollars last year. He's on Amen. his first year yep. of three option years. Um, you know, you, you want to see does he have a sophomore slump, or or can he really crack on, add a little bit more to his game, and you know. Really, I know they're not necessarily playing the same position, but let's see what the effect is on Brandon Savania's place in the in the uh, well, it's not it's a twenty man game day roster now. Yep, I know you keep wanting to say in the eighteen. It's burned into my memory, and uh, <laughs> I've had to catch myself on the broadcast more than once to say that. And Steve will always look over and just kind of chuckle because he does the same thing. But to me, guys, and Buzz, you said this maybe last week, maybe the week before, just what a bargain Ensabling is. Being able to get him in the Super Draft and at the place he was because you just, as you said, you're not getting much other than maybe a top couple picks. And the fact that they were able to hit on, what is it, two of the three top picks that they they had obviously we'll get to one of them that won't be picked up next year in a minute but i just think that as as dan was saying he's a no-brainer buzz you mentioned that he brings something different to the the midfield role because he has a more attacking role we always in the broadcast booth like to talk about it being more of like uh i i almost almost thought of him as a ballroom dancer because he has this swivel of his hips that is a little unique you don't see a lot of players like that, but he also has this dancing ability that can just make you go, oh, I, that's something different. And that it's a little bit more positive in his play. Plenty of things for him to work on. It's, he's not the finished product yet, but boy, at his value, no-brainer. Yeah, to get somebody that late in the draft, when you think back to the early days of the league, where they picked him was the bottom of the third round. You know, when you had which is unheard teams. of now. Yeah, and so that you're picking 36. That that would have been even then. That would have been a guy that would have struggled to make a team, and for him to do that, I mean, the third round now is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but back then, even that would have been a stretch for him. Um, you know, to to make it into the team, uh, you know, with the handicap, if you will, of that international spot that he's requiring. Then thinking enough of him to, to have, they had to go out and get an extra two spots last year. You know, in order to accommodate him and whoever else you want to broadcast uh, as the extra international guy. So obviously they see a real value there. You know, and you certainly need four eights on your team. Now, whether his profiles, what other kind of eight it is, you know, we can we can talk about that later. But I I, I agree with Dan. You know, cost to value is massive, huge. It's a no-brainer to keep picking up that option. Yes, you want to see some progression. You know, and in the long run, again, I, I don't want to harp on it, but it really is important. You know, you can see these guys that are not these superstars coming in, but these mid these mid squad talents that have that need these green cards. You can see how important it is. They know it. They go out and get it pretty quick usually. And so, if I was his agent, you know, or, or if I was the team, like the minute he got here, I'd be like, let's start this process because it really would be of great benefit to him. Uh, it, it'll open up all kinds of windows in his career here in the United States if he has that. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And Dan, to pat you on the shoulder a little bit on Siki is the fact that he kind of reminds me his progression a little bit the way that Nkosi Tafari came through, which was you saw some things, it looked a little raw in training, you weren't really sure, and then because of injuries forcing the manager's hand, they had to play, you know, lack of depth or just injuries in general, they had to play him and realized, 
I think we have something that we can work with here. Uh, yeah, albeit without the uh, the COVID enforced uh, wait in between, uh, you know, draft and uh, well, the draft and and him actually playing. But uh, yeah, it's a great point. So those are the three. Surreal, Farfun, and Zabalang are the three that were kept for the 23 season to having their options picked up. The next group is the other end of the spectrum, which is those who had their team option declined by the club. And guys, the thing that I found really amazing, and I'm sure many people did, and Buzz, you're going to explain this for everybody in a second. I read this press release when I was reading on my phone. My kids, I have two boys that are 10 and 12. They both play recreational soccer. They're big FC Dallas fans because, of course, I work it. And so we go to a lot of games as fans. They watch a few on TV when I'm doing it. And I read them the decline options. And when I got to the name Matt Hedges, they both audibly screamed. Yeah, this was a move that was in the cards for a bit. Um Hedges deal, he has two options left and the way his contract, most contracts tend to work the same way. And his contract, you can see clearly has over the first three years, it goes up about a hundred grand each year. Um, Exactly how much is not important, but it means that he'll be roughly a million dollars on his contract. And you're also talking about a player who is going into being in the downward phase of his career. He's going to be 33 in the early part of the season. Now, can you play at 33? Absolutely. Certainly at center back. Um, Matt Hedges is a guy who has relied a lot on his athleticism, um, but he is a smart defender too. He's not the intricate game reader as some guys, like that Ziegler was perhaps, but he doesn't understand the game and he has work on his game. He does improve his game. But you can see, if you've watched Matt Hedges, regardless of how much we love Matt Hedges and how great a defender he's been for this team, you can see that he's starting to lose a step here and there. And the biggest sign of it is the amount of time it takes him to recover from injuries. The fact that he's missing a few more games and it takes him longer to get back. It takes him longer to recover even in a game. All these things are very normal. They're part of the process of aging out of the game. No offense to him, but that's the level where we are in terms of the discussion of this team. Most people feel that the center backs on this team both perhaps could be upgraded. So if you're FC Dallas and you have to be brutal about roster building in professional sports, you really can't afford to bring back Matt Hedges on a million dollars, particularly if you think that you need to upgrade that spot. If you think you want to go into the market or if you think it's time for Nicosi, whatever it is, you don't want to spend a million dollars on a guy sitting on the bench. Now, you don't want to let him get away either because he is a good player still. He may not be the guy you want to start, but he still has immense value to you. If you want to go three at the back, if you need, you're not going to have your two main guys start every single game, right? You're going to need other guys to start other games. He, he's talked in the past about wanting to coach someday. He is a leader, a quiet leader, but he is a leader on this franchise. He's been your captain quite often. You want to reward him some too. So the club was... From the pretty open about the fact that with people that he they were going to negotiate with him, but probably not pick up his option. They certainly waited as long as they could to not pick it up. But you know, this is just a thing that happens in sports. We talked about it before. The famous example that from my 
own fandom is when Emmett Smith went to, was it the Cardinals own one that he went to for like a season? And yeah, then he later wait, said yep. he regretted it. You know, you can think of, you know, Montana went to the Niners, right? Not to the Niners. He went to the Chiefs. For the Chiefs, yep. yep. You know, guy, this happens at the end of guys' careers, you know. Um, does it stink that we're talking about a go to the franchise and, and having this happen? Yeah, it does. Now, I 100% know from my sources that clubs are talking. They have moved the numbers to a more uh, state where they could possibly get together. There is foreign interest from Korea and Turkey for sure that I know of in him. Um, but the, the bottom line is that the Aaron Long, regardless of what anybody thinks of him as an individual talent, Aaron Long is going to set the market this winter in MLS for center backs. I don't think anything will happen with Hedges until that happens. And Aaron Long has said that he's not going to move or make a decision until after the World Cup because he's focused on the World Cup and probably because he wants to see what his value does. If he plays well, it will only go up. Right. So you're looking at or sometime in December, probably a week or two into December, depending on when the U.S. gets eliminated, then Aaron Long will make his decision. And then that sets the bar. And then there's three or four center backs that are right behind that, right behind Long, that have talent. You know, and where people come in and make offers for Matt Hedges will determine how interested he is and the number that FC Dallas has on the table. Will FC Dallas get a discount from him? I, I don't know. Uh, do his wife and his kids factor? I mean, I don't know personally. I, I don't know him I don't know enough to ask him that. I don't know him well enough to ask him that. Let me see that, articulate that clearly. I would assume that they do because you kids have grown up here and been born here. So it's a complicated situation, and we're not going to find out until maybe middle of December which way he's going to go and which way the team's going to go. It's clear to me that the team, FC Dallas, wants to go after someone in the open market, whether it's Long, whether it's a team, uh, the, the guy from New York City, um, whose name I can't remember right this second, um, whether it's somebody from a foreign team, like a, like a, somebody that Nikosi, not Nikosi, excuse me, Nico maybe knows, or Zanata maybe knows. You know, it's clearly they're opening that spot up. That's why this is all happening. And it, it sucks for Matt. I get it. And it sucks for people that are fans of Matt. But this is the hard um, truth about professional sports. And it, it's a tough spot. Now, would I have picked him up? I might have. I might have just because I, I think I think you're still not right there on competing for a cup. I might have been w- well willing to eat a million dollars for Matt Hedges and only for Matt Hedges. Um, but th- this has to happen eventually. So you might as well do it now when you're early in this particular coach cycle. This is only year two of your three or four year climb. So I think it's probably the right time to do it as, as painful as it's going to be. Now, Dan, as Buzz was sort of breaking this down, I I immediately said, I've got to ask you this. You guys have talked a lot about the change in culture of the front office and the the whole club this season from when they signed the, you know, the the head coach in Nico Estevez to how they, of course, sold Ricardo Pepe and everything that's happened since bringing on, uh, you know, Jerome, who does a great job in marketing, putting up a, a presence around the Metroplex that we haven't seen maybe in ever, but certainly a long time. Amen to is, that. The, is there an appetite for the club? Because you've been around the FC Dallas a long time covering it. For a guy who set the all-time club record in appearances to 
be dealt with in the brutal professionalism way that a top level managed MLS club has to be dealt with because there is a business side, no matter how warm and fuzzy you feel. And look, I've had a chance to talk to Matt Hedges on multiple occasions. He's a quiet but fantastic guy. Really, really like him. And I, you want to do right by your big names that have been here a long time. But there is still a business, and you still have to make, I think, a very clinical decision when it comes to that side of it. Do you think that there's the fan base and the appetite from the supporters agree with being a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say cold, but maybe a little bit more precise? I've, I've definitely seen more people than I thought uh, I would that have uh, towards the idea of, okay, well, you know, you've got two decent centre-backs, one kind of ageing out, one getting to the point, but uh, an injury keeps uh, keeps kind of sidetracking him. Do you just kind of go almost full rebuild at the back and just be a little bit ruthless? Uh, with, with Hedges, I thought, you know, everyone would kind of say, no, give him, give him the monies. He's either treated like a duck or something like that. Um, but no, it's, it's been a little bit surprising. Maybe that's just having that taste of uh, finally getting a, a team that, act, uh, a, well, an organization that acts like a, a major league organization. This is clearly a cap thing. You know, if there wasn't a cap, this would be no problem. You would just give them the money. It's a cap issue. Now, the reason that seems counterintuitive is because you can use Tam and Gam to buy down a cap, right? So Hedges is going to be, you know, bought down below the DP level like he always is. So if you renegotiate a deal, you're still going to have to do that. But the difference is, the difference between a million and the 600 DP and say 650, 700 in the DP is very different. And you could also make a case, I think you can make a case that you actually need, need to replace both center backs. Because for me, Martinez has some uh, slow foot speed problems, some athleticism problems, and he has the physical issue where he gets this contact and his legs kind of freeze up. Well, the problem is, is that uh, Martinez is on a guaranteed deal. He doesn't have an option. So you're stuck with him and you can't redo his deal unless you want to do the same thing. You want to extend and make it for a much lower number. Well, I don't know that you want to extend Martinez either. So they're kind of handcuffed in terms of hedges because of Martinez. And you really don't have any choices and you don't have any other, you have one guy that you're maybe ready to start, maybe. And so you, you're going to go out and get two center backs. It's tough, tough, tough deal right now at center back on this team. So like, like you said before, you know, everyone's going to kind of watch and wait for uh, Aaron Long and Alexander Callens. Uh, you know, the, those two with hedges, you're looking at three high level defenders uh, all over 30 now. But all making around a million dollars. Long did make over a million last year, so th those are truly going to set the market. Even if it's just that kind of six, twelve, five hundred uh, cap hit that we really worry about, you know that they're making between that that hard number and the monopoly money figure, they're all making around that same amount, and and it is going to be a case of probably long falls first as the domestic player um, and and younger at 30, Callan next as a, an MLS Cup winning uh, 
Peruvian international again, 30, and then probably Hedges later on, given he's being, you know, a couple of years older. His stock uh, nationally taken a little bit of a hit with uh, his time under Jürgen Klinsmann and, uh, you know, the hip and knee issues last year, especially because, you know, he's he's at that age where it's harder to bounce back from that sort of thing. Buzz, do you know this uh, about GAM? Because I'm far from an expert in this field. Uh, I could give you more of the NHL CBA rules than I can of Major League <laughs> Soccer. I bet you can. Uh, yeah. Uh, for quite many, many years of studying the legal speak of that document. But uh, Paul Ariola was a $2 million general allocation money upfront deal with DC United when he came to Dallas. But there was also a 300K GAM performance incentive. It was basically performance based incentives that it could be up to an additional of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if MLS does the same thing as the NHL, but typically in a hockey contract any performance bonuses that hits from a player's contract usually it's younger players the older ones don't usually have that that can go on rollover into next year's salary cap does that any of that gam come out of the future like the 2023 dallas balance and i mean i don't know how much they have i mean you always you guys always talk about monopoly money well tam and gam expire um, so it doesn't last indefinitely. Right. Um, what does roll over in Major League Soccer 100% is um, contractual bonuses. So let's say Ariola had a, you know, ten, seven goal, seven assist bonus or an all star bonus or something or playoff bonus. Any of those bonuses you get, this is, this is why the cap numbers are not the numbers that the MLS union puts out because the cap number is your base plus. Any of those bonuses you got the year before. Right. So, so it's Ariel's, from last year's carry don't r- rolled yeah. over. So right. Ariel's number next year will be his base plus any bonuses he had. Appearances, playoffs, all stars, whatever they are. The they the and you know this probably from hockey, they quote unquote assume, I'm doing air quotes here, that you're <laughs> going to do them again. So that's your cap number. So and then you also have to include uh purchase price. If you remember Five Minute Castillo, when he was came here, he was a young DP. I don't know if you guys remember that when he first came here. And then we got the numbers from the PA, and he was on like one hundred eighty five thousand. And we were like, "What the hell? Why is he a DP?" Well, it's because the buy price is in the cap number two. Hmm. So, like Frank O'Hara's cap number, they show that number of three whatever. Well, part of that in his case, part of that is base, part of that is upfront bonus. Still not the same as the cap number. The cap numbers are a mystery. They don't actually announce them. So you kind of have to just sort of make best guesses about these things when you're doing (laughs) the cap. It's really stupid. But um, so the answer to the question about the performance bonus gam that you had to send, that just changes the sale price. But the, if it's if it's money in the future, then it would come out of the future pile. So that's like, what I'm wondering. Like yeah. if if that let's say he hit all of his additional performance based incentives in that trade deal between FC Dallas and DC United, and they get 300k in extra gam because of it, does that come out of the 2023 budget that they have? for their funny yeah. money. And so if that's the case, is that one of the reasons why Dallas is trying to save or shave off a little bit in terms of how much they might have to use to buy down a guy like Matt Hedges? Yeah, it, it could be a little bit because it would come out of, it depends on how you structured it. Absolutely. It could be 2023, it could be 2024. You know, when you, when you contractually 
told New England, not New England, um, DC that you had to send them the GAM. So that could vary, but yes, absolutely. Now, 300 something, 375, whatever it is of GAM is not that much. The, but the trick is, is that, it, like we said, it does expire. So the chunk you got from Pepe is gone, the GAM chunk. But where you will get more chunks is you, you could have gotten more if you missed the playoffs. You could have gotten more if you um, had a guy take an expansion draft. There's other ways that you can get chunks of it, uh, including more when you sell players. So if Dallas sells some more players, they might have some that's going to come in because their sales are not. When you sell a player, you don't get all the money at once. So like you could be looking at some of that GAM piling up over a couple of years for some of those sales that are really big. You know, it's just generally speaking, Dallas has a lot more GAM than other people because of the fact that they sell enough guys, you know, and, they, and they've done smart things with homegrowns and such like that. So they tend to have more than other people. They probably still have plenty, but they like to roll like seven DPs and buy down four or five of them below that number. They don't run the $5 million DP. They run the million dollar DP. That's right. how they can do this. So uh, it's a complicated behind the scenes process. I would not worry too much about the extra 300K for Paul. What you do worry about is when you start to count up those numbers of guys above that 600K, uh, the number will move up a little bit. It'll probably be more like 650 this year, but Paxton's numbers are going to be or continue to climb. Um, anybody above that number, their, their contracts will all go up and they're all going to buy more of them down. And you're talking about trying to save hedges. That That's why this, this is so important. This million dollars coming down on hedges because you might be able to save four or $500,000 in GAM. Right? You're going to need some of that because Martinez's deal is going to go up just a little bit. Hara's deal is going to go up. Paxson's deal is going to go up. Jesus' deal is going to go up. You could go through everybody on the roster above that GAM level and everybody below that number two. Everyone's salary goes up every season. So you have to, you have to find room for that guy. You have to cut some guys. You have to shrink some scap out. So it's a really complicated system and it forces the entire point of caps. And you know this, Owen, is to force down labor costs. That's what it's for. And so you have to keep constantly working at it and massaging it and getting it down. And that includes sometimes making these ruthless contract decisions. And that's where we are with this team right now. All right. Before everybody listening starts to drool and glaze over their eyes because huh. we went deep into the GAM talk, which, by the way, it is really fascinating. And the NHL, every front office has at least one member of their staff that is a salary cap expert, a guru, a compliance officer who his job is to know every inch of that gigantic legal document to know all the rules, the tricks, all the loopholes. And I'm sure MLS franchises are no different in that. It's time to go to the also-rans. No no disrespect to any of these names, but Matt Hedges was clearly the biggest of the options declined. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the next one is kind of a huge difference in, in step, but he is a center back, so why not go to Lucas Bartlett? You know, guys, he was a really high pick because he was sixth overall in the super draft this past year in 20 the you know 2022 draft before the season began and so i think because they took two defenders in the top six people understandably were probably pretty excited like hey this is this is a guy they want and it's a, it's a pretty high pick but i remember buzz when you guys were breaking this down you talked about his age which you do with many players in terms of yeah. the development curve and peak very quickly saying geez you know 
there's not a lot of room for growth there because of his age and over the course of the season i watch him in training and you know he got some north texas stuff he had the big size the strength that you would want to see from an imposing center back but you could see that the pace and the style of play for both fc dallas i think and mls was always going to be really challenging for him does it make it any more palatable for the fc dallas fans that they got in Sabalang with the 28th pick, the last pick of that first round, to be able to maybe have to digest losing a six uh, overall pick and kind of going, well, that that didn't work out the way we wanted. Yeah, if if they hadn't hit on in Sabalang, we'd be trashing them. Um, <laughs> be, listen, you know they, the I think in hindsight the market the draft pool of center back wasn't very good. Um, they saw a lot of raw tools on Bartlett. And they rolled the dice, but we talk about this a lot. The, the progression window for players, they, they plateau at around 26, maybe 27, depending on the player. That's the plateau. You do not improve mentally in your game past that number. The, so the, the minute you draft him and you look at how old he is and you say, man, in July of this season, that you just picked him, he's going to be 25 years old. That means he has a year, maybe a year and a half, and he's going to stop getting better. His pl- his progress will plateau. It doesn't matter how much he wants to be better. It doesn't matter how much incredible raw tools the guy has. The bottom line is he spent six years in college for a reason, right? And that reason is that he's not a high enough level, complete package of a player. Sometimes it matters. And you go out to training and you're watching the first couple of weeks of training and there's these, he's making these massive, massive gaffes. And you're like, the guy's just not a good enough player. The sum of the parts is less than you see on the field. And he's a great kid, really nice, works his tail off, really positive about trying to get better, trying to get better. Went down to North Texas and did get better, but he didn't get better enough that one year was going to be enough time. If he'd have been 20 and you saw that progression, you'd be like, great, I'll leave him down there for two and a half seasons. I'm going to actually have something when he's 22, 23 years old. I'll actually have a legit player. But when he's already 25, now going on 26, his career is plateaued. He's got five years left to play and it's not going to be any better than he is now. And that's just like the minute you draft a guy that old, it's like, forget about it. This is why you sign 15, 16, 17 year olds, not 24 year olds. It's just, they just did the kid wrong in a lot of ways. Now there's, there's a chance that he can carve out a good career, but it's not going to be in major league soccer. You know, he, he can play professional soccer. It's just not going to be at the MLS level. Do there's, you see him maybe playing in the championship next year? Or is sure. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- is he, that he, the realm? I mean, physically, he could certainly hold up against other championship-level teams. Yeah, because when you get into the championship, 80% of the strikers you're going to run up against are not going to be able to out-soccer um, brain him. He's going to be plenty good enough in terms of game reading, which he has improved at. He is big. He is fast. He's got a pretty decent feet. He's got a ton of raw tools that going up against another guy on the other side of the ball, who's not going to be as polished and complete either. He's going to be a perfectly decent matchup. I think he can carve out a legitimate 10 year professional, not 10 because he's too old, five or six year professional career 
over in the championship. He just cannot do it at MLS. There's just too many guys that will just absolutely shred him in Major League Soccer. It's just not it's not going to happen. Dan, that was pretty extensive. Anything to add on Lucas Bartlett? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the intention of him was he was the most ready to contribute if they needed, uh, you know, if the roster got depleted heavily and needed someone who just had those raw tools. Um, yeah, that's, that's really it. Was he very good? No. Um, I think, you know, from a few times that I saw North Texas SC play, um, yeah, kind of looked, looked like his level. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like I think with centre backs they especially have to be ruthless. You've seen with uh, uh, what's his name? Ah, oh boy, I forgot forgot the fella. Uh, Breck Evans. Um, yep. You know they had to be pretty. They were pretty cutthroat with the way they they went about that. Um, because he's either going to sit in the roster making next to nothing and not playing for years until he hits his peak and then you've probably, you know, pissed away his best chance. Uh, or he can go out to, uh, you know, Brett went out to a Colorado Hailstorm, um, has been a starter at left back and centre back and kind of, you know, he has a pro career. Is it making millions? No, but he's a professional soccer player whose stock's only really going to go up at the minute. And, you know, we're, we're going to really probably tread over a couple of players where it's like this. Um, they're not going to contribute anything for FC Dallas's first team for, for a while. But in the meantime, they can go out and make and forge their own career. You can look at a couple of different guys that Dallas has taken shots at out of college. You know, Jordan Cano, guys they've signed directly to North Texas, like Breck Evans or like Cesar Murillo, you know, they're, they're like uh, Chris Reeves who then went on to Colorado switchbacks. You know, they, they, they're trying to look for center backs, which are hard to find because they, they blossom a little later. So unless you got Chris Richards coming out of the Academy worth millions of dollars, it's pretty difficult to get a guy to progress into the pro team. You got to kind of let them go to college a little bit. So then you don't really know what you're getting necessarily in terms of, pro progression so they've been hunting around trying to get another matt hedges you know another george john is hard another drew moore you know drew moore is a, a project 40 or whatever he was pre-generation adidas so you don't you can't always get these guys like walker zimmerman out of the u20 team sometimes you just got to try guys and so in the heading of trying the best center back you can find sure give it a shot i get it but the age was just just killed him. He just he had such a small window for success, and it just dried up really quickly. Another guy who had a little bit longer window than Bartlett because the fact that he was a homegrown coming from Philadelphia Union, but he definitely didn't have a ton of of runway to work with is Khalil Elmed Carr. And guys, he showed in some preseason matches. I remember still under Lucci, Khalil hit an absolute banger of a goal again it was maybe not against top tier mls competition but it was still one that made you stand up and notice him uh he had some stuff in training where you could clearly see that the the skills were there the the again a little different than bartlett because i think he had more of that uh refined skill than just raw talent the problem was is that i don't know if he had the 
<laughs> the hot air Obreon speed, and I don't think he had the Frank O'Hara physicality to go along with a pretty good shot. And because of that, he wasn't really finding a way to get himself open. Do you agree with that? Yeah. The problem for a guy like Khalil is, you know, forward and wing, man, that's where you spend millions of dollars. It, it is a lot harder to break in up, up there. You know, and he's a guy that actually Philadelphia let go into college. Now, Philadelphia doesn't use wide players on the offensive end, so he didn't fit their system. That That's bad for him. I, I look back on his career now, and I think to myself, man, it, it's 16 or 17 if someone would have said to that kid, you know what, you should be a left back or a right mm, back. Yeah. Then, then we might be having a completely different conversation. But when you go through the whole college deal – and then you're trying to come out and you're trying to beat out an Obreon or a Velasco who they paid $9 million for or the or Paul Ehrlich. You're not getting on the field, man. Not here with that. That's you're not you're not Paxton who came through this organization for a decade. You know, you're a guy they picked up out of college. You just don't have the same cachet and the your key development years, you know, eighteen to twenty-four, you weren't playing, you know. And sometimes a guy like that maybe could have used a loan or two. And why did he turn him down? Did he? Did they not get him one? I, I don't know. I would assume they probably tried to. But, you know, it's just another guy that at his position just ran out of time and just didn't have enough talent to break in at some of the very hardest positions in the league to break in. And, you know, it's just we didn't see enough progress. That was the bottom line. Boy, you're going to get me to start another tangent that you probably don't want to already extend our podcast today. But I've talked to a couple people at the club uh, at, you know, in, in the management department, both with FC Dallas and with North Texas about that gap. Right. They sent and we're going to talk about Nikki Hernandez in a second, but they sent players to San Antonio. They've done found loans. Uh, Austin Bold, you know, back in the day, old USL championship side loans to try to get that but you typically unless there's an emergency send that player for the rest of the season and you do wonder if there would be a, a mechanism for the club to have whether it's North Texas move into that role or a, get get their own USL championship side where you could have a player train with the first team but play week in week out week in week out in the championship as opposed to just going on loan because there are, I mean, this this whole list that we're going through are are littered with guys that could really have benefited from those kind of extra minutes and, and still training with the first team. Yeah, loans work, man. Jesus, Brandon, they both did loans. You know, you can look at guys that have gone to Byron for loans. You, you know, they, they they are functional. They do get you progression. You know, the, the reason why Oscar wanted um, the FC Dallas' second team to train right there on the complex, right close by, was because of that back and forth kind of stuff, train with the first team, play with the second team. The bottom line is though, is MLS next pro is terrible. You know, they got to find something better than that until that league improves. They really are going to have to take advantage of, particularly given this coach runs such a short bench. They're going to really have to try and take advantage of some loans. And you are right that we're going to go down this list and talk about three or four more guys that are going to be in this exact same boat. And I don't know. I just, I just never quite saw enough out of Khalil. Um, Dan, I don't know where you are on on him. I, I just didn't quite – I just I just did never see it really, honestly. I, I never saw the progression. He, uh, You know, there, there was talk about him potentially challenging for game time uh, at the start of last season. 
and it you know that never emerged but the conversation never did there was never you know i, I know you'd you'd kind of mentioned previously about him uh, of late uh, starting to train at center mid to to try and get minutes to get training reps but i mean in that position you got to be going out online you got to be doing everything uh, scratching and clawing to get yourself up onto the same footing as the uh, the quote unquote real homegrowns the, the ones who've come through the system know know the system very well know you know having played relatively similar under um, you know Pereira and and Lucci in both uh, academy and and first team you know he he kind of really nice kid but he was the outsider trying to trying to get in and he wasn't exactly knocking too hard. Yeah, the college the college homegrown does not get the same leash that a uh, academy homegrown does. Academy homegrowns are more like Generation Adidas players. College homegrowns, the guys that are coming out of out of your rookie year, like Brandon or Reggie. Yes, out of your senior year, that's a one 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 kind of deal. Like just like Seeky, just like those are guys you're basically circumventing the draft by using the homegrown method, and then you can just get rid of them after one or two seasons. And that's yeah, what absolutely. But you, then you've also got. You know, on top of that, on top of being at, at college, you know, he's not someone that came through FC Dallas. So you haven't got yeah. like uh, Chris Hayden or Alex Aldez or, uh, you know, formerly Lucci or some, you know, or, or Chewy or someone uh, advocating for you because they've seen it in a previous time. Good point. Uh, all, all they've got is, you know, maybe some, some highlight clips from his time in Philadelphia or some anecdotal, oh yeah, he was really good against us. He did this, he did that. Okay, well, where is that now? I'm going to lump in the next guy with this continued conversation. That was Nikki Hernandez because I had to go back and look just to refresh my memory quickly at the change in attack from last year to this year. And you guys, have this isn't going to surprise you, but you're going to go, wow, what a difference. Because I think last year with... Freddie Vargas at left wing and hot air Lord and Frank O'Hara. Now, of course they did have Jesus and Pepe. So that was a plus and Sabolt Shun, who I actually liked, but of course I don't think that this manager did the same that Lucci did. And I don't think Nico liked him as much, at least as far as what he saw in training. And, and I, I think he was more of a gamer, but if, if, if Khalil and Nicky Hernandez couldn't break through then, they certainly aren't going to now with the additions of Alan Velasco, Paul Ariola, Sebastian Legette. The path to minutes with the first team got a lot thinner with the additions that Dallas made this season. Yeah, I, I actually thought Nicky did himself a favor by taking the loan. You know, he, he went and did the good work and he put up some good looking numbers. You know, I, I talked to Coach about him and they were really pleased that he agreed to go, you know, because this is what we need to get these minutes for these guys. I was actually really surprised, and we maybe should have hit on this at the top of the show, about how absolutely brutal FC Dallas was in these decisions. Like anybody pretty much, like we talked about this short bench that Nico had, all these guys that we mentioned that were like not in the rotation, that were like 200 minutes and down, they all got jettisoned. And I actually thought Nicky would have earned himself another season, you know, because of he had done the work and done some good show, but man. No, <laughs> short, short leash around here. And I, uh, I, at least though, the difference when where, where Khalil is now and where Nikki is now, Nikki now has a bunch of tape 
to put out there, a bunch of work he's done. Maybe he'll go back and to San a title and a title. Maybe he'll go to another team because, okay, you couldn't break in with the championship midfield and the, the team that won the title. There's another 30 teams in that league that probably could use a midfielder like you. Maybe he won't be back to MLS right now, but you know, if he's young enough to continue to progress, he could, another guy I think could have a really good career. He's done himself some favors by actually finding a way to play, taking the loan and putting in good performances. And it was probably good, too, that he did that at the championship level because it wasn't going to benefit him to play with North Texas. No. Even though it is closer and you're still in touch with the first team in training because, again, if it's going to be tough for him to break through Leggett, Pomichol, Cervania, right, and Sabalang. He's at least fifth, if not farther down, and that's just not going to – you have to be a lot – you have to be pretty special to try to push through that group, don't you? Yeah, he he dominated some performances in USL one, and and, and all, next pro's worse. Like going there is not going to do him any good. Where he ran into the problem, as you say, was once you bring in seeking a sibling that moves him down, who they obviously really liked, that yep. hurt him. Um, even though he has a little bit more of attacking bent, I think than some of those other guys. Bringing in Legit that knocked him down even further. I mean, that's the real killer blow. You know, you don't. I, I I'm going to talk about this again later. But there's not room in the midfield right now um, for anybody extra. The midfield is full. so Which know, was not the case at the start of this last past season. Yeah, where we were it, talking about a real gap at the number eight, but obviously they filled that with Leggett and, and Sobeling. Yeah, it's changed. And this for franchise, too, produces a bullet of eights. Now, there's a, we're in this little bit of a homegrown gap, but there's a couple of more coming that are now a year or two away. You know, so it's not like you can hang around here forever before the window gets smashed on you. Um, again, you know, the, there's only so much room on the roster. And if you're not progressing into the conversation, if you're not forcing your way, way into the conversation, not our conversation, the coach's conversation, you know, it's just not happening for you. You want to move and play. And he did. And so, the, you know, he's a better off than Khalil is right now. Yeah, you know, Again, said we'd uh, repeat this phrase a little bit, but you know, this is one of those. You're not, you're not, you're not going in the team. Just go off and get your career and in order. Whether that's he stays back on with uh, San Antonio or kind of carves out uh, some time with a with another USL Championship team, fresh off uh, off winning that championship medal. All right, the next one on the decline list is Eddie Munjoma, who was uh, is an, a really interesting story because he was the heir apparent to Brian Reynolds who followed Reggie Cannon. So as these two young homegrown right backs moved on to the European dream path, which of course haven't necessarily proven to be exactly what they were hoping for, but sometimes I know you guys talked at length about picking the right club and a manager that actually wants you, not just a technical director and, and, that's very, very important. But I also do think it's important for a player if he has a chance to to try to realize that dream, even if it doesn't necessarily work out perfectly, so that he doesn't spend his whole career wondering what if. You know, Paul Ariola went overseas, realized that he wasn't really wanted there, and it he I remember asking this to him early this season, saying, What was that 
experience for you when you don when it dawned on you said I'm not going somewhere where I'm not wanted since and he said well that's a big reason why I went to FC Dallas because I knew I was wanted I knew that the 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 manager Nico he knew him and he wanted him to be there he said after the experience of going over uh, on loan in in England he wasn't going to go to another club that didn't absolutely want him there people people forget or fail to recognize um players agents when you make these moves if you if the coach doesn't want you you're not going to play and playing is everything like if the owner bought you or the tech director bought you and it's kind of telling the coach that you should play you or whatever or worst case scenario the coach gets fired a year into your time there you know those that's not going to be good because particularly when you're younger playing is everything you should 100% go to a place that you can play. And Look even back if you at Sabolt uh, Shun, right? He, yeah. He, we liked what we saw from him la- a year ago. We thought there might be something that could develop. He had some good looks with Hungary at the national team. New coach comes in, didn't get any playing time. Yeah. And that, that's the same thing. Even, even if you get playing time, if it's not the right fit, like exactly. Pepe. So if you get back to Eddie Manjoma on this, Yes, you, back to what remember, we originally were talking yeah, about. <laughs> if you remember this, uh, I predicted before, that Ima Tomasi was going to be the next starter, not Eddie. You know, just from watching training and talking to people, Eddie had not done enough. He did not do enough to lock down the next shot. He didn't take advantage of the games he was in. When the and games then Ima got, got hurt. Huh? He had a, Ima had that health problem, which is why Eddie started 21 yeah. as the right back. So he had an opportunity. Well... The the time that Eddie got when Reynolds was still here, the he did not do it. He was supposed to be this great offensive. He wasn't supposed to be. He was. He was a great offensive attacking outside back in, at SMU. That we weren't seeing that here. He didn't. He wasn't doing the extra things on the offensive end to make up for what were going to be his defensive deficiencies. So he didn't do enough coming out of when Reynolds left, that he was going to be the starter. He got a couple of opportunities, but he did not take them. And then again, the same thing happened. You're coming into this season, and he's so out of it now that they've gone after Nanu to try and get a right back to compete with Imatu Amasi. Maybe they thought Nanu was going to start ahead of Imatu Amasi. Either way. I kind of thought they did. I'm sure that they did. At that price, they better have thought that. <laughs> Although I remember quite clearly saying I thought that was a terrible signing in the preseason. I'm on record saying that. But that makes Eddie third. And then you say, was he going to play on the left maybe? Well, he did in training, but that they also drafted a generation Adidas left back. Well, that makes you fifth at outside back. Again, a guy that doesn't not going to go down to North Texas. There's no nothing there because Colin Smith's playing in there. Parker's down there. The GA they picked. They got some homegrowns coming through. So where's Eddie playing? He not, not progressing, not getting any better. Same thing. Go on alone, man. Play, get better. He didn't do that. Right out of time. He was gonna. He's gonna turn 25 next season. That means that he can't be in certain parts of the roster. You're out of time. You, you can't be a supplemental player anymore. You can't be an off-budget player anymore or can't be a cheap one anyway. You get moved up to the top part where there's much less space out of time. So he's out. The window When you play in college for four years, the window is way, 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 way smaller. Yeah, exactly that. Having the leg up, being able to play both sides, really, you know, being a guy who can play as, as a winger, you know, in some ways, uh, Eddie was the most versatile player on the team, and 
and couldn't get a look in anywhere. Uh, you know, it, yeah, he just was never really gonna take on. It was it was a long show at best. I will give Eddie one really positive thing that I noticed multiple times watching set piece practice on Fridays because a lot of times uh, us broadcasters will go on Friday training because we get a chance to, you know, we, we, work, we work for the club, so we get a chance to see the probable formation for the next day for the match. You get to talk, and they watch how they both attack and defend set pieces. And then a lot of times players will take some shots, usually not with goalkeepers in, but, you know, just messing around. And Eddie Munjoma has a filthy left foot, and he can hit – uh, some really impressive stuff. Mujoma has a good free kick. Thomas Roberts, who we'll talk about in a minute, also has that. But the yeah, problem nasty. was, and, and the coaches saw them too. They saw what they could do with these these free kicks, but they never gave them a chance in matches because they weren't high enough in the pecking order. Funny story. I actually thought Eddie was a left-footed player uh, coming yeah. out of the academy because he played left back for Wesley Dallas all the time because they had Reggie Cannon on the other side. I mean, he's not. Eddie's right-footed, but... He, it's balanced enough that he's perfectly capable of playing left side. And he played a lot of left side in the Academy. He played at right side at SMU. Um, you know, just again, the window closed. It just wasn't, it wasn't enough time for him after playing in college. Ooh. Hey everybody. This is buzz with our special guest, Owen Newkirk and the fantastic awesome Ooh. season roster move discussion. This podcast originally recording was over two hours, which is obviously much too long. So I'm choosing to cut it in half at this particular point. We will air this first half, obviously, on Thursday, uh, the day after we recorded it. The second half will come out next week uh, with a tiny bit of uh, World Cup discussion added in. But let me also take this moment to remind you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. The World Cup is days away from first kick. You're up. Get your gear. Gear up at Soccer 90. Shop the whole wide collection of U.S. national team merch, official gear, hats, jerseys, jackets, balls, all of it is now available. Third Degree listeners get 20% off your order at Soccer90.com when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout, Soccer90.com. Well, Dan, this is the part of the podcast where Peter usually asks both of you guys if you have anything else to add, so I feel obligated to continue that tradition <laughs> no no nah, no nah. i mean we've uh we, you know we're into 3 a.m at this point uh we've run out of red crayon for the run sheet uh, i don't know what else we can do <laughs> yeah crayon ran out long ago well thank you guys i hope that uh i didn't overstay my welcome today with this uh marathon edition of third degree yeah. but if you want to have me back again especially with peter on world cup duty uh, you know where to find me. I'd be thrilled to continue doing some fill-in hosting for your third degree. Well, we'll see if the check clears, so, and then we'll... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the background? <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> Thank, we really appreciate you coming in because uh, Dan and I stumble around in the dark when we don't have somebody to host it for us. So thank you for being here and filling in. Well, my pleasure. And guys, uh, as Peter does his sign out, I'll do the one that I do for the great Buzz Carrick and for the legendary Dan Crook. I'm Owen Newkirk. Thank you so much for joining us. The next Third Degree podcast will be airing after World Cup 2022 matches have been played. So we hope you enjoy the start of that global tournament. Until then, so long, everyone. Farewell, sweet. Ooh. Woof.
25 long hard years, yeah. Was Carrick, yeah, the man, man. 25 years, you better be giving this man at least $5 a month. Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much, hey. Come on, it's third degree or bust, yes. Give the man some other f- money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never. Podcast.